Let's pray. Father, we just come to you tonight because you're just awesome and mighty, Lord, and uh, the love that you have for us is just never-ending in the grace. Uh, Lord, I just pray as we read the scripture tonight that, uh, Lord, we would uh, just draw closer to you and just really uh, think about you and know who you are and just be able to comprehend how much you really love us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in starting Genesis 44. Uh, but um, just to kind of bring everybody back up to speed where we left off last week, uh, Joseph, uh, excuse me, uh, the brothers had went down to Egypt to get food. And uh, uh, Joseph, uh, he met with them, gave them a hard time, but eventually gave them their grain and and uh, he put the money back into their money sacks and uh, gave them provisions for the trip home, and they went back. And uh, they held Simeon hostage. He held Simeon hostage in in Egypt and uh, told him, hey, look, don't come back unless you bring your brother Benjamin with you. And so when they went back and told Dad that, Jacob didn't like that and said, no no way, it's not happening. But eventually they ran out of, uh, they ran out of food, and uh, Jacob told him to go back down, and the brothers reminded him, hey, look, you need to uh, send Benjamin down there because the guy said he's not going to talk to us unless, you know, our younger brother comes. And so uh, so basically uh, Benjamin and the brothers, they go down and get food, and uh, uh, they uh, Joseph's dream where all of his brothers bow down to him are, are actually is actually fulfilled, and uh, the the uh, forty forty three ends up chapter forty three ends up. They've all sat down and had this big dinner. They're at a big dinner, and uh, you remember they were the brothers are all guilted out over all these different things, and and Joseph just keeps coming back saying, "Oh no, no, I just want the good stuff for you guys," and and uh, he's really blessing their socks off. And so uh, when we Start off at uh, Genesis 44. Uh, it's uh, Joseph talking to a steward. So verse 1, it says, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, uh, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. Uh, so he did, the steward, he did according to uh, the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, uh, they and their donkeys. So you can imagine the, the brothers, they're like, we got it, you know, come down. We brought Benjamin down. We got Simeon back. We're taking, uh, you know, Benjamin back with us. You know, things were looking really good. In verse 4, uh when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to the steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not the one from which my Lord drinks, with, with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So divination is a, not a word that you see a lot, and it's basically... A, you know, the textbook, uh, literally, the dictionary definition is to practice 
of seeking knowledge of the future or of the unknown by supernatural means. And so Joseph definitely qualifies for that. I mean, uh, he's, you know, he's predicted dreams, predicted the future. Uh, of course, uh, you know, anything divine has to do with God. So Joseph is definitely uh, in that realm. The part that makes it a little strange is he's got this cup. And uh, in the culture of that time, the, it was uh, common for diviners, you know, or the, out of the, the Egyptians' courts that they would use uh, these cups and they would look into them and they would have water and some oil and they would see the patterns inside the cup. And based on that, they would uh, make their, their predictions. I'm not sure whether or not Joseph used the cup. It's never talked about any time before this, I think it was just kind of a custom of Egypt. So um, he uses that 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 thought. Uh, uh, but it it appears that uh, Joseph is kind of setting his brothers up to see if they're going to throw uh, Benjamin under the bus here, because he's obviously got a plan that he's going to, you know, catch so-called catch uh, Benjamin. So in verse 6, it says, He overtook them and he spoke to them uh, these same words. In other words, what, what Joseph had just told him to say. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servants with with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we will also be my lord's slaves so they're they're so sure that they don't have this cup they're basically saying, you know whoever has it, you go ahead and kill him, and all the rest of us will be your slave um, and verse ten he says, now also let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So, I mean, it's, there's some drama in this, right? He starts with the oldest, and he's going through and going through, and he gets to the very last one, and there's the cup. In verse 13, then they tore their clothes, right? That was they're just, like, totally upset. And each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Which really wasn't the case here. Uh, He sort of tricked him. Verse 16, then Judah said, uh, what shall we say, my Lord? What, what shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and also with whom the cup was found. So Judah steps forward. He's going to speak for the group. And um, he confesses to Joseph that God has found iniquity in all of them. But I think he's talking about two different things. I think the iniquity in the group that doesn't include Benjamin is all the stuff that they did to Joseph, even though he's not 
verbalizing that, but it's definitely two separate things. And then I guess he thinks that Benjamin actually stole the cup. And so that's the the other part. So um, in verse 17, uh, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Uh, uh, The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. So he's basically saying, just leave Benjamin here. You guys are all free to go. Uh, Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. So Judah's acknowledging totally uh, Joseph's position and power. And then he goes on with this appeal in verse 19. Uh, It says, My Lord uh, asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And then we said to my Lord, uh, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And this father loves him. So he's recounting the scene that they had had with him earlier. So the mother that Jude is talking about here is Rachel. If you remember, uh, Rachel um, was Jacob's uh, first love, right, when he went up to Uncle Laban's. He fell in love with Rachel right away. But it turned out to be that uh, uh, the, she was the last to actually bear him sons. And so the the two sons that came from Rachel were Joseph and uh, and uh, Benjamin. They were the last of the, the 12 boys that, that uh, Jacob had. So I think, though, that Judah is going to try to make uh, Joseph understand just how important that Benjamin uh, is to his father. So in, in verse 21, Ju- Judah speaking here, he says, uh, then, you, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him, meaning Benjamin. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him uh, the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother, uh, if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we, we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us. So Judas, now he's basically quoting what his dad had said to them when they're having this uh, exchange here. He says, uh, so this is actually uh, uh, Jacob. He says, you know that my wife bore me two sons. It's kind of interesting. He refers to Rachel as my wife, like, oh, what about these other three women? But he's totally, you know, enamored with uh, Rachel. He says, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and one of them went out for me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. And if you remember the dialogue that they had, that he had with the brothers when they came back, that's the exact words that he said, Oh, surely he's torn to pieces, because they had the, the bloody coat there. In verse 29, again, this is still 
uh, Jacob, he's recalling what Jacob had told the sons. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So now Judah, he goes back. He's going to continue uh, talking to Joseph. He says, uh, now, therefore, when I come to your servant, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants uh, will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Uh, keep in mind, this is, you know, Joseph is listening to this plea here. Uh, basically saying, look, man, if we don't bring Benjamin back, dad's going to die. It's just going to kill him, right? And uh, so you got to, I mean, I'm trying to think of this through the lens of Joseph listening to Judah telling the story. It's got to be really heart-wrenching. This is in verse 32. He says, let me explain. Your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up, go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps see the evil that would come upon my father? So he's saying, I just, it just, I told dad, you know what, I'm bringing him back. I guarantee he's coming back. I couldn't stand to see what would happen to my dad if I showed up there without him. So I got kind of emotional when I read through this, <laughs> to be honest with you, because it's a, you know, it's a heavy-duty scene here. And Joseph finally got the truth out of what had happened after he'd been sold into slavery. And, you know, uh, he definitely has a sense about the family and the fact that Judah's willing to, you know, take the place of Benjamin rather than, uh, rather than hurt his father. And it's kind of interesting too. Judah's making this; he's kind of being the surety for his brother. Now he wants to take his place, and it's it, Jesus comes from the line of Judah if you follow the genealogies out, and uh, you know Jesus took our, took our place on the cross. You know. A lot of, you know, some people say the Jews crucified Jesus. Some people say the Romans. But in reality, we know that we all crucified Jesus because each and every one of us should have uh, been on the cross. So in 45, uh, Genesis 45, what it does is it records Joseph's response to Judah. In verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. And do not. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. So you can imagine, you know, Joseph's like a national hero. I mean, he's... I mean, what, nine years ago now, he's predicted there's going to have seven years of plenty and we're going to have seven years of famine. And they're two years into this famine and, and he's got all this food and people are alive because he's got this food. And and so when Joseph, you know, breaks down and, 
and starts weeping, you know, and reveals that he's a brother in this Hebrew family that's visiting to them. You know, it's like, I don't, they probably didn't have social media. I don't think they had social media back then. But news spread like wildfire. You know what I'm saying? It was like across across the, the kingdom. And verse 3, it says, Then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brother, but his brothers could not answer, for they were dismayed in his presence. So, dismayed, right? So I looked up dismayed. Dismayed is one of those words like there's no real uh, direct, you know, one for one. They had to list a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, basically, dismayed is. And this is out of the Hebrew. It says to disturb, alarm, terrify, hurry, be disturbed, be anxious, be afraid, be hurried, be nervous. So you pack all that together up, and that's what they're thinking. Uh, if you can think back to uh, the scene when they're around the table, right, before they came down, and Dad says, hey, you know, I heard there's food down in Egypt. And they kind of get that tense moment, and they're all looking at each other, right? And they're feeling all uneasy at that point because they... They knew about Joseph down there. Well, that there's that there's just nothing compared to what's going on here, because they went through all these uh, interactions with Joseph, and they basically told him the whole story. He knows exactly what happened when they sold him into slavery and everything, and now he tells them, "Hey, I'm Joseph." So they're like totally blown away by this whole thing, and. Uh, so, but what happens next is truly amazing. In verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, uh, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, it's pretty heavy duty. There's more, but you see a total picture of God's grace right here being played out in the life of Joseph. These guys are in the worst possible way at this point. And what does he say? But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. It's so, it's kind of like, it's like it is with God. You know, your sin is there and your sin is before you, right? But he's saying, but God sent me before you to preserve life. So don't worry about it. Everything's okay, right? We know about your sin here, but God had a plan to make it all all right. So that's what he's got going on. And it goes on. It says in verse 6, for these two years the famine has been in the land. So remember, we had seven years of plenty. Now we're two years into the famine. And he says, there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. In verse 7, and God, right? Joseph always goes back to God. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you uh, in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, in other words, like a main advisor, and the Lord of all of his house, and a ruler 
throughout the land of Egypt. So in verse 7 when he says, and God sent me uh, before you to preserve a posterity. In other words, um, um, certainly uh, Joseph heard from his father Jacob because I mean, you got the patriarchs that are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I think Joseph may get lumped in there. But the promises that God had promised to Abraham to make him a great nation and all this sort of stuff. And so the posterity is, you know, the people that are going to come after you. So he's saying, God sent me here, uh, you know, to do that. And so I read a lot of, uh, after this section here, I just, uh, I read a lot about this and I read a lot about it and stuff I just heard before and, um, but I really, really started thinking about it, you know. I thought about it, and I read a bunch of stuff. And um, basically, though, I think what happened here is that I think Joseph spent a lot of time uh, thinking about God. I think over the course of his life, he spent a lot of time just thinking about God. You know, he didn't have the book of Genesis to read, right? I mean, his story is part of the book. So there was no written revelation at this time. But if you think about his life, okay, God gave him the gave the dreams when he was a teenager. He gave him to a the dream uh of his brother's sheaves bowing down to him. I put the sheaves up here in case you forgot what a sheave looked like. So remember he had the dream, his sheave is standing up and all of his brothers are bowing to him bowing down to him. It's kind of ironic too because they came in to get grain, right? So yeah. Um uh, the second one was his uh, father and mother and 11 brothers bowing down to him. So I think his dreams combined with his dad telling him about the promises of God to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I think it it put God in the forefront of his mind. He's going, what is this stuff? You know, he's thinking about it. And, you know, Jacob was the, was the, and back in those days, the head of the family was the family priest. And so it, it would be Jacob that would be teaching God to them. He'd be te- teaching them the, the, you know, what was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and now on to Jacob. So he would know about all this stuff. So he had to have been thinking about God. When his brothers threw him a pit, you think he thought about God there? I think I would have. God, what are they doing to me? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think God was at the forefront of his mind when he got sold into slavery, went into Potiphar's house, you know, uh, when he had the interchange with when Potiphar's wife made the advance on him. What did he say? He said, I can't do this. I can't sin against God and do this to my master because he's put me into this spot. So all the way through, he's God is on the forefront of his mind. Uh, in his time that he was in prison, he definitely thought about God. Um, uh, he was able to interpret the dreams of the baker and the butler. Remember, and then he gave credit to God. He says, you know, I can't, but, you know, God can interpret green dreams. So God was like on his mind uh, all the time. Um, so, and eventually he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. His brothers, this is their second trip now. So there was at least a year in between when they came the first time and the second time. So he had time to sit back and kind of put the whole thing together. You know, he says, you know, God, God gave me this dream about 
you know, these sheaves bowing down to my sheave. And, you know, my brothers are here coming to get grain and they're bowing down to me, you know. And so I think he starts to put it together and start to realize, you know what, that he's part of some a bigger plan that he ever could have imagined. So, uh, you know, he remembered the promises to Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, that they're going to have, you know, descendants as sand on the sea and stars in the sky. So, um, so I think after this time of getting to know his brothers, and all of that that had transpired in his life, when he said in verse five, he, you know, he—I don't think he had to think about it. I think it was something that he had already figured out. He probably had anticipated when I tell these guys, they're going to be blown away and they're going to think that I want revenge on them and all this. But he says in verse five, "But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here." For God sent me here before you to preserve life. And then again in verses 7 and 8, he does it again. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you. See, he's thinking of the big picture, God's big plan for, you know, this uh, Hebrew nation that's going to start. For a posterity for you on the earth and to save lives by a great deliverance, which it certainly is. So now it is not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord over all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. So I think um, I think that, and we've talked about this before, kind of, uh, I think that there's a lesson to learn from Joseph. Um, I think that Joseph considered God at every turn in his life. Um, and I think that, we have an advantage because we have the written word of God. We have the revelation of God right before us, you know, in the Bible. And, you know, we've, we talked about this before that, and we saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're building altars, right? They're nomadic sheep herders. They're going around from place to place to place, and they come back to a place where God did something great for them. They see the altar, and they remember Okay, and they give glory to God. So it's a, kind of the same sort of thing for us that that you know that like when when you read the Bible because I know I've, I've been reading the Bible for a few years now, and then you can read the Bible, and then you know and then they can like read it to really understand it, which usually involves reading the same thing over and over a few times. But then after you you really think you understand it, and then if you stop and think about it and just try to like figure out what's God got going on here, you know, where it's really on your mind. And I think, I think that's the place where Joseph was at. And I think that's the place God wants us to be at too, where, uh, where we really enter into this thing where we know who God is and know who he is. So in verse nine, hurry up and go to my father and say to them, Thus says your son Joseph, what does he say? God has made made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall be in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you 
lest you and your household and all you have come in poverty for there are still five years of famine. So there's a lot of parallels uh, between Joseph and Jesus. And uh, we're not going not gonna to go into that. I, I'll let you uh, do that on your own. But there are, and a lot of you probably already heard it in church anyway, but uh, th- there is a striking similarities. In verse 12, And behold, your eyes and the eyes of uh, my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck, and moreover he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked to him. Well, I'd love to hear the conversation. Verse 16, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants as, and his servants well. And the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your animals and depart, and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the, the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, Do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for you and your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. It's going to totally set them up. Then the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. That was a big deal. Remember, we talked about this before. Just as a big deal to have a change of clothes. Remember when Jacob uh, was coming back from Laban's house and he had gotten in some problems and they had the, you know, Laban's gods and stuff. He says, you know, get rid of all these gods. I want you to clean yourself up and change your clothes. It's huge. It was like, like this is a, a big deal. It was like a, a point that says there was a, there was a definite turning point in your life when you would do that. I mean, they're not like us where you take a shower every day and change your clothes and all that. Change your clothes was a big deal. So when when uh, Joseph uh, does this, he says, and give to all of them, each man, changes of garments. So it sounds like more than one, maybe two. But <laughs> to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So, you know, they got like 70 people waiting for him up there in Canaan, right? Because we know when they come down, we know they came in, they had 70. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. (laughs) But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, 
And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Joseph, I mean, Jacob's just like, wow. So uh, over the past few weeks, uh, uh, much of what we talked about centered around really about the guilt of Joseph's brothers. I mean, it, it kind of sticks out. I mean, there's the, you know, you got the guilt of the brothers, and then, but, but if you look at Joseph's actions, he's not really, it, it's really, he doesn't, he's not even aware of it. He's just trying to orchestrate this thing so he can get all of his brothers down and get his, you know, his mom and dad and all his brothers. He wants to get them taken care of, right? He's uh, totally like the grace of God. So um, in in Hebrews, there is a verse in Hebrews, a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, or actually verses 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um Huh? Right. And so the the point I'm trying to make is is that many times when you uh read through the word of God and you read these stories and you see stuff go on, uh it's easy to be convicted of your sin. It's an easy thing. And God says that it's gonna happen. I mean it's gonna happen, right? And and so that's not necessarily a bad thing though. Uh, and in the context of this Hebrews, you guys, I think you just went through it probably a few weeks ago on Sunday, but um, the context of it is the writer is talking about entering into God's rest, okay, the rest of God. And so, and he's trying to convince the Hebrews that are trying to move away from Jesus, hey, Jesus is that rest, right? And so... Um, I just want to read two more verses to you because um, uh, this to be mired in guilt and worry and stuff like that, it's just not God's plan for our life. And and it goes to like the John 3.16. It's like such a basic, uh, it's basic, basic Christianity. People that really know anything about God, they know John 3.16. I remember back in the day that there would always be a guy in the end zone with, a rainbow afro holding up John 3.16 sign. And it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17, which nobody reads after that, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's so important that... uh, that it's easy to play the bad tape in your head, but you know that's not God's plan for your life. That's just not it. You know He provided a way out that we could have a relationship with Him, and uh, and basically, if you think about in the whole scene with the brothers, they sort of revealed little bits and pieces of the story of how they sold their brother, how they got rid of him, and they they thought he was dead. But when they had the whole thing and they talked about their dad saying, yeah, 
Surely he's been torn to pieces. Basically, the confession was complete, right? And so First John 1, 9, feeling fine. It's kind of took place uh, here with the brothers uh, or to some degree, but that's definitely available to us. We just confess our sins before God. He's faithful and just to um, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this beautiful story that we can see of Joseph that looks a lot like you. And Lord, that we could see that uh, Joseph was definitely a man that lived his life for you and he thought about you and he considered everything he did uh, just in the light of uh, your uh, providence in his life, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that... Uh, that we would be a people that would be like Joseph, that, that we would read your word and we'd understand your word and then we'd just think about you, Lord, the way Joseph thought about you and that we would enter into just a deep, deep relationship with you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.